chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations whose rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope, Today I declare that I will restore to you double, for I have bent Judah as my bow, and I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. And now from um, Matthew chapter 21, reading from verse 1 to 17. And when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the floor, on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and they said to him, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said, yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Thank you, Sandy. Welcome, everyone. And special welcome to those who are visiting. It's good to have you with us this morning. Join with me as I pray. And then we'll come to God's word. Heavenly Father, as we open the scriptures now, we want to acknowledge 
that we are engaging not with the words of men, but with the words of God. So, Father, we pray that by your spirit, you would enable us to hear what we need to hear, to see what we need to see, that you would have your way in our lives, that you would grow us as your people, that we would grow in our love for you and our love for each other, and that we would be people who give Christ the glory. And so, Father, please help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is Palm Sunday, as has been pointed out to us, which means this coming Friday is Good Friday, and then Sunday will be Easter Sunday. And we come into that week where Christ has come into Jerusalem to die. When you share the gospel, I wonder what place Christ as king factors in. For many today, when you hear the gospel preached, Christ as king is more of an afterthought in how we share the gospel and we call people to follow him than a forethought that Christ is the king. And I pray this morning as we look at this text that we would be challenged to make sure that when we share the gospel, Christ as king is a forethought from which we move forward as we share the gospel because that's what happens. That's what we will see. And so we're going to take three steps, really. We're going to consider the crowds, because that's very significant. Then we're going to consider the prophecy and then the confrontation. Because as you read through these chapters that start a few chapters earlier, but as Christ gets closer and closer to his time of death, the intensity builds. Tensions are building. People are getting anxious. People are getting nervous. People are getting stressed because of what Christ is doing and the extraordinary things that are taking place. And we see here in Matthew chapter 21, verse 1, now when they, so that's Jesus and his disciples, drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives. And so that's been made quite clear. Christ is intentionally going to Jerusalem. When you read through Luke's gospel, it actually has a passage where it says, and Christ set his face on Jerusalem. He had to go there. But there's more at work than just what Christ is having to do. He and his disciples had traveled all the way from Galilee, which is about 125 kilometers north of Jerusalem. And now they arrived at Bethpage. They didn't have far to go. That little town is at the foot of the Mount of Olives, about three kilometers east of Jerusalem. And we soon find that when they, Jesus and the disciples, drew closer to Jerusalem, they were far from alone. There were lots and lots of people traveling with them, and they were all headed towards Jerusalem. Everyone making their way to celebrate the Passover. That was the magnet, that was the thing that was drawing people to Jerusalem. And as you read on in Matthew and the next chapters, you'll see that what we're looking at today takes place in the final week before Jesus dies. And everyone had to go to Jerusalem because God had commanded it. If you turn with me back to Deuteronomy chapter 16. Deuteronomy chapter 16. When God called his people out of Egypt, he gave them these commands. And this is coming towards when just before they enter the land, the promised land. Deuteronomy 16, verse 5. God had said they must celebrate the Passover. And then he says this, you may not offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your towns. 
that the Lord your God is giving you, but at the place that your God, Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell in it, that is Jerusalem. There you shall offer the Passover sacrifice in the evening at sunset at the time you came out of Egypt. And so all Jews that were seeking to be faithful in some way all set out for Jerusalem at this time of the year. And the Gospels remind us of this sense. Last week, we looked at Luke chapter 2, and when Jesus was 12, he went with his parents, parents, mum and his dad, to Jerusalem when he was 12. And Luke records in chapter 2 the crowds that were filling Jerusalem. John reminds us that people would leave the country areas all to come to Jerusalem for the Passover. Pentecost was one of those compulsory festivals. And when you read there and you see the population that would come, we're told in Acts chapter 2, people traveled from well outside Israel to attend the festivals that were compulsory, including God-fearing Gentiles. From all over the world, from every nation under heaven, from places like Mesopotamia, Rome, Egypt, Asia, Arabia, people would all make their way to Jerusalem. So in many ways, the journey that Jesus and his disciples took was far shorter than a lot of other people. And we see that when these crowds came, they're described as multitudes. People would start in small groups, such as Jesus and whoever up in the north. And as they traveled, you'd start to meet other people who are coming from the other directions. And then you'd sort of form a bigger group. And then the bigger groups would bump into bigger groups until you get closer and closer and closer. until you've got a crowd and crowds of people all nearly in Jerusalem. And so when Jesus and his disciples drew near to Jerusalem, they were part of a massive crowd of people all heading to celebrate the Passover. And we see that in verse 8. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks, while others in the crowd cut off branches. Verse 9, and the crowds that went before him and the crowds that followed him. Verse 11, and the crowds said. It's estimated by some historians that the regular population of Jerusalem at that time was maybe around 100,000. But when they would come to celebrate the Passover, the population could swell to well over a million, upwards to three million, some have estimated. And so Jesus came with these crowds, crowds gathering for the Passover, but then you had the phenomena of Jesus, crowds gathering around him because of who he was and what he was doing. In the north, great crowds had already started gathering around Jesus bringing the lame and the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others to be healed. Turn back a few chapters to Matthew 15. Verse 29. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up the mountain and sat down there. And again, great crowds came to him bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled and the mute and many others. And they put them at his feet and he healed them so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healed, healthy and the lame walking and the blind seeing and they glorified the God of Israel. Already when Jesus was up in the north, great crowds were around him. 
As you read on, you get to Matthew 19, and we see that Jesus took a path that took him over the Jordan to come down the eastern side. And as he journeys along there, again, he stops and preaches and teaches and heals. And then he comes further down in chapter 20. We see he comes down the eastern side and he crosses over the Jordan. He comes to Jericho. And he stops there. And again, he went out from Jerusalem and a great crowd followed him, Matthew 20, 29. So as Jesus traveled, he kept healing. He kept teaching all the way from the north, all the way down to Jerusalem, all the way to the temple. And now he's about three kilometers from Jerusalem. And so somehow we've got to get our imaginations to work, to stretch, to imagine a multitude of people gathering around him, crowds and crowds. At every point before this, as you read the Gospels, whenever the crowds got too excited, Jesus would always calm them down. He would rebuke them. At times, people would leave. Before, when you read in the Gospels that Jesus came to the compulsory festivals, he would come quietly. So as no one have no attention drawn to himself. But not this time. Something very different was taking place. As Jesus got closer and closer to Jerusalem, he didn't do anything to diminish the attention. If anything, he did everything to build it up. And drawing near to Bethpage, Jesus does something that would only intensify what was taking place. And remember, this is the time of the Jewish Passover. This is not just another journey to Jerusalem at another time of the year with a crowd of people. This is the time of maximum impact, maximum publicity. And we read on from chapter one. And this is the prophecy. Second step. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you anything, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. What was Jesus declaring? Has he intentionally fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah? Turn with me to Zechariah 9. I encourage us all to turn there because we'll spend a few minutes looking. 
second last book of the Old Testament. Turn to Zechariah 9. Now, the very first verse of this chapter of the book of Zechariah reminds us that Zechariah prophesied during the reign of Darius. And so that's a four to five hundred years earlier. And it's the time when Israel was in exile. God had said that because of their sin, his judgment would come upon them as a nation. They had been scattered, been exiled, and many of the Jews from the southern kingdom found themselves as captives in Babylon where they had to start living and set up a new life. But God had spoken hope through his prophets. He spoke of a day of deliverance when he would send his king, the Messiah, to deliver them and give them an everlasting rest. And so in Zechariah 9, verse 9, We'll go a couple of verses at a time. Firstly, we see the prophecy focuses on the king, what the king will do. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off. And he, that's the king, shall speak peace to the nations. His, that's the king's rule, shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Clearly, we have not experienced that yet. By riding on that donkey into Jerusalem, Jesus did something very provocative and profound. He said, I am the king. He is the promised Messiah. He is the hope of Israel. Jesus is Israel's righteous king. He upholds every word of God. He keeps God's laws perfectly. Jesus is Israel's humble king. He does not reign for his own sake. He reigns to do the will of God and to bring glory to his father. Jesus is the king who will save his people. Israel is in rebellion against God. She's suffering the things God said she would suffer on account of her sin. But Jesus will save his people. Jesus, the one coming in that day, is the deliverer who would establish God's peace, not just for Israel in the end, but across all the earth. His reign will establish a kingdom where there's no need for weapons anymore. Chariots, war horses, and battle bows will be gone forever. And this peace will not just be local, but across all the earth, from sea to sea, from the river, that's the Euphrates, literally, to the ends of the earth. Jesus is God's chosen king. The king of Psalm 2, though the nations rage against God, though the world resists God all around us and the world wants to cast God off, how we are experiencing that more and more. God laughs at the rebellious world and promises that rebellion will be crushed and quashed. Instead, he will set up his king on Zion, his holy hill, upon Jerusalem. That is the Christ. God's chosen king will overcome all the wickedness of the earth. And his reign will know no end. 
And God warns us, if you rebel against God and resist him, his king will be your judge. But if you come to him and seek his mercy, his king will be your savior. That is Jesus. And then in the next two verses, we're told some things about what he will do for the people. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. We get a glimpse of what Christ will do, what Jesus will do for his people. Firstly, this what is being said in these verses is about what God will accomplish through Jesus the King once he's ridden into Jerusalem on the donkey. And these promises are far greater than anything Israel has experienced yet or that we have experienced on the earth since their return from Israel. They in no way have been restored to double of what they once had. This is pointing to something that far exceeds what has been experienced yet. And so riding into Jerusalem on that donkey, Jesus was the one who would save Israel on account of the covenant that God had made with Israel. He's the one who will bring salvation, who will work salvation. And we get this picture, he'll set his people free from the waterless pit. Because this promise is far grander and speaks beyond anything that has happened since Israel were brought back from exile in, in Babylon. Being freed from the waterless pit is more than just being set free from a dungeon or being set free as prisoners. And I'm certain it points to the hope of being set free from death. Throughout the Bible, the place of the dead is the pit. It's called Sheol. Dark, gloomy, inescapable. This is the hope of resurrection for the people of God. And if I could be misguided here, other passages make it clear that's what Jesus will do anyway. Being set free from the waterless pit, being delivered from Sheol, the place you go on account of your sin, the place of the dead, the grave that reigns over sinners. Christ is the king who will rescue his people. Job had this hope and it's been the hope of God's people since the beginning. Job, as we have heard again and again, knew that after his flesh had been destroyed, one day he shall see his redeeming king with his very own eyes in the flesh. The psalmist in Psalm 49 says, God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. God's people being ransomed from the grave. I'm certain Joseph wanted his bones to be brought to the promised land because one day he knew he'd be raised to the land that God had promised. Jesus comes as the king who will offer the ransom, his souls of his people from the grave. But not only that, he would ransom his people, not just to life and to newness, but to Double, to double, a double portion, blessing, a much more wonderful state than they've ever known. 
And so as we go with this, we have to ask, do you share that hope of life beyond the grave, being raised to a double portion, of sharing in the kingdom of Christ? People go to the dead because of sin. The only way we can be set free from the power of death is for our sin to be paid for, which is exactly what Jesus was writing in Jerusalem to do. That great salvation, that full redemption would be his accomplishment. Jesus declared he is the saviour king. And the scriptures tell us that the crowds cheered without fully realising what Jesus was up to. The people in Jerusalem were stirred, wondering what this is all about. The religious leaders who knew better than anyone were enraged because they were getting what was going on. We even see that the disciples themselves hadn't fully grasped what Jesus was doing. And so we come to the confrontation. Jesus, the bold miracle worker like no one ever, with his bold and authoritative teaching, already despised by the religious leaders, approaching Jerusalem with a large crowd that's unashamedly loud in calling him the king, all the attention fixated on Jesus, declaring him the son of David, Jesus coming from the Mount of Olives on a donkey to enter Jerusalem through the Eastern Gate, the Golden Gate, the Gate of Mercy, for a direct access to the temple. And Jesus doesn't stop. He takes this whole thing that's happening into the temple. Into the temple. Verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and brought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were indignant. Jesus is the king coming to his city, to his people the place of his throne where the throne of David was and he comes bearing judgment. He's the righteous king. He's coming to show and reveal the sin of his people and he does it as the king. He goes in the temple. He alone drove everyone out. There would have been thousands. He alone drove them out. The sellers and the buyers fled before him. They couldn't resist him in his zeal. But Jesus was not only aroused by the sin of the religious leaders and the money makers, but also the corrupt worship of the people. He had his eyes, his judgment focused on everyone that was coming. Israel was a sinful nation. Sure, they were going through this process of the Passover, but Jesus saw through it all. And Jesus condemns Israel with three prophetic words. Firstly, his reference to the house of prayer, which comes from Isaiah 56. And I'll read this. Isaiah 56, verses 6 and 7. 
and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Now, Jesus comes as the king. But there's another whole reality as he directly quotes and says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Because we know he's God the son. He's the word who was with God and was God. Throughout the Bible up to this point, the glory of God was there in the pillar of fire. The temple at various times were filled with the presence of God, with the smoke and all that happened. And now we have the glory of God coming in the flesh as he comes to his temple and he says, my house shall be a house of prayer. And he drives out the traders. It was a marketplace. This was a good time to make a profit because everyone was coming. You'd make heaps more than any other time of the year. He drove out the money changes, which reminds us people came from everywhere. Their job was to change foreign currency into the local currency so that you could engage in the worship and pay your money to the temple. He drove out those who sold pigeons. Pigeons were there for the poor. No doubt the poor were also trying to get on it because they'd catch their pigeons and sell them potentially. And no doubt the priests were profiting. Every stall has to pay a price, even at local fairs. You sort of pay your $5 to get your spot. But notice Jesus does not just drive out all who sold. He also drove out all who bought. They had come for their sacrifices, but God was not pleased with them either. All this trading, trying to get a bargain. If it's like the situation in Malachi, you're trying to get the cheapest sacrifice you can afford or have to pocket out as little as money as you need to. Many are coming thinking they'll just get God's favour by ticking off the Passover box. When Jesus called his house a house of prayer, it wasn't just addressing one aspect of worship in the temple. Prayer covered everything everything that took place in the temple was covered by prayer bathed in prayer jesus was addressing the whole corrupt worship that was taking place praise confession thanksgiving offering sacrifice was all engaged with hearts that were coming before god asking for his mercy giving thanks to him all was being engaged all was happening in the temple with the heart disengaged People were offering sacrifices. People were coming into the temple, but their hearts were far from God. There was no connection between them and God. They weren't coming to pray and to plead and to give glory to him. Prayer was gone. Authentic, heartfelt, genuine, sincere prayer was absent. It was all corrupt. And we need to watch that. We know churches can set up for profit to maximize the dollar. We know churches can set up in a way to make it as convenient as they can for people to come and worship. Churches can be very much about convenience. 
We want people to not feel uncomfortable or to do anything that's going to be too much for them. So we, we bend in every way we can so that they'll come. If your prayer life is dead, we should never be comfortable with that. That should unsettle us. No Christian can rest comfortably if you stop praying. We must cry out to God to help us, teach us to pray, help us to pray, because that's what a living child of God does. We communicate with the Father. And Jesus is telling us he can see through false worship. As you come to church each week, wherever we live, is your heart engaged? Are you hoping church will be as convenient as possible? It's amazing how we like church to fit in rather than to order our life around the gathering. The next thing Jesus confronts them with is den of robbers. That comes from Jeremiah chapter 7. Israel was in a very bad place in the time of the prophet Jeremiah. And Jesus repeatedly reminds Israel in his day, you are no better. How quickly we are to think we're better and not as corrupt or just as bad. Jeremiah 7, 11, after going through, but I'll start at verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house, the temple, and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah, who enter these gates to worship God. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I'll let you dwell in this place. Do not thrust, trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I'll let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely? Make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known. And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name and say, we're delivered. Only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. God sees it. God sees it. Den of robbers, a place where you can sort of cover up the dodgy, ungodly abominations in your life and sort of make everyone feel it's okay and not have to deal with them. A place where you can come together, but then go back and continue the life that you were living. Are we coming each week before God, but when we, get, when we move away, continuing in abominations? Are we caring for the poor? Are we given to other gods? Are idols filling our heart? And then we come each week and say, praise God, praise God, and we think everything's okay. 
is our church coming to tick the boxes? So you get God's approval that somehow just whitewashes everything you've done that week to then go out and do it again to get that again so you can go out again and get the and have it all washed. No, God says, I see through that. And Jesus was seeing through it. The king was seeing through it. These people are all coming. They're coming long ways, making these huge pilgrimages. But their hearts are far from me. They will come and then they'll go back to wherever they've come from and they'll just add me on and worship their other idols. God is looking for people who worship him in spirit and in truth. Whose hearts worship him 24-7. That we come to, what, when we come together, it's an overflow of the relationship we have with him throughout the week. And then the third word. He says, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have ordained praise. Jesus was there and we see in the temple that the children were going around praising him. Hosanna to the son of David. And so there's Jesus. There's all the children praising him in the way that they should be and the people should be and the priests are looking on. And no doubt they're seeking to mock Jesus. What sort of king of you? You need children. You need children to be the one to affirm who you are. But what sort of a king are you? The mind of a child is the one giving you the approval. As he quotes it, it comes from Psalm 8, verse 2. And Jesus making it clear. God can bring praise to himself through speechless babes out of the mouth of infants. That means children who can't yet talk yet. Nursing babes, children that are still suckling. They can't mouth words. God can bring praise. In Luke's gospel, we're reminded at this time, God can get the stones to give him glory. There's nothing wrong where the praise comes from. The only thing is the praise is right. It's what it should be. And in that, those teachers of Israel are rebuked. Because here, the children are doing it. And you condemn that by your own actions and by your own accusations because you should be doing it. But your silence speaks volumes. It declares your hearts. You're opposing the king. And so the king comes to his city. He comes as the king. He reveals the sinfulness of the nation. And he comes to judge them. But after a day like that, what would Jesus do? That's a big day. He goes out of the city. We see he goes to Bethany, which is about three kilometers back towards the Mount of Olives. He gets up the next morning and he goes back into the temple. And he does it all again. When he goes out of Jerusalem, he comes back the next day. He does it all again. He goes back out of Jerusalem, as you read Matthew. He gets up the next morning. He comes back and he does it all again. The king is coming to his city. The king is coming to his people. And what happens by the end of that week? And as we discover on Friday, is that their cheers turn to hissing. And their praising turn to spitting. Jesus is mocked. 
The crowds are now rejoicing as a crown of thorns is thrust, thrust upon his head. The religious leaders are praising as nails are driven through his hands and he's hung on a cross. That is why the king came. He is the king, but he's come to save his people by hanging on the cross. People who clearly don't deserve it. People like you and me. He's going to the cross, being crushed for the sins of his people. He, the righteous king, the perfect lamb of God. Many of the people that day praised him on triumphal entry. And the thing I want to challenge, many of us can get caught up in praising Jesus. But it's the Jesus of our shaping. It's Jesus as we want him to be. It's not Jesus as he is. It is right for us to worship Jesus, but are we worshiping the Jesus of the Bible, Jesus, the son of God, Jesus, the king of Israel, before whom we should bow the knee and honor him? Or are we looking for a Jesus that's convenient and for our benefit? Because he went to the cross to save his people. Are we silent about what Christ has done? How do we know that Jesus getting on that donkey was the right thing to do? How do we know that Jesus going into the temple and saying all the things he said was the right thing to do? How do we know that Jesus going to the cross gives us any hope at all? Because three days later, he rose from the dead, proving he is the Christ, proving he is the king. I encourage us to meditate and consider what it means for Christ to be king. Because if we just meditate upon Christ as saviour, we can become very me-centred. Jesus went to the cross as the king. He wanted that to be clear. He didn't just go to the cross as Jesus of Nazareth to die. He came from Nazareth and presented himself, I am the king, and went to the cross. We know the words of Paul. We preach crucified. That's the gospel. We preach the king crucified. Our presentation of the gospel must be launched in the Christ as king. Because when you move that from the way, you don't really get genuine repentance. You don't have a real sense that God is coming to judge one day. You get people that can very readily fill churches that are coming to Jesus for their benefit. I can keep living the way I want, but Jesus will keep making me clean. If you love me, you'll obey me. We come to the king to give our lives to him, to surrender to him. Jesus shows mercy to his people. We preach Christ crucified. The gospel is preaching the king crucified. And so let's, as we come to Easter, I pray that God would loosen our lips because how much more should we, and I'm indicted in this as well, we have even more certainty than those children in saying Jesus is the son of David. We live this side of the resurrection. We know that he is Lord. We know that one day he will come again and he will come to the Mount of Olives and he will go through that gate again. But this Good Friday, we remember that when he came on Palm Sunday, as we remember today, he came in peace. He came on a donkey. He came that you and I might make our peace with God. But one day he's coming again and he'll be on a horse and he'll come as the judge to pour out the wrath of God upon sinners. 
This weekend, I pray that we can share the gospel, the good news that the king laid down his life, that we could have our sins forgiven and share in his kingdom. Now are the days of grace. Now are the times to be welcomed into the kingdom. And so we, may we gather this weekend coming to remember the king died. And may we have opportunity, we pray, to share the hope that we have that one day Christ will come, he will reign over all the earth, he will establish his peace, there will be no more wars, and we will be delivered from the grave, resurrected to life everlasting with our glorious King. Let's pray. Father God, please help us feel, help us be shaken and feel joy and all that's needed by your word. Help us not to be numb. Please stir in our hearts by your spirit like those children. Lord, that as we come this weekend to remember Christ's death on the cross, our tongues will be loosened to give you praise and to declare to those around us that our King is laying down his life that we can be saved. So, Father, help us as a church to be a light in this darkness. Help us to be able to cast seeds of the gospel. Lord, please, by your grace, may you grow your kingdom in this town. In Jesus' name, amen.